This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So... The only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via our participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and time supply, see mcdonalds.com. Okay, welcome to the Forever Bristol City podcast. The season is over and this is the first of our uh, end of season reviews. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, two uh, measured individuals approaching the game from different angles. There's uh, Dave Fevs, the uh, analytical sage of OTIB and uh, various other uh, media and uh, from the media and former player. Uh, always good to have him on the podcast Chris Honor, good afternoon, gentlemen. Are we already in summer mood, would you say? Chris, you first. Um, well, I'm beginning to miss my football already. And we only watched the Man City game last night, which I thought was unbelievable football. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering what to do with the next six weeks, eight weeks until the season starts again. And I'm getting a bit nervous about all those journeys to B&Q and all those tasks that my wife is drawing up to keep me busy each Saturday afternoon. Yeah, what about you, Dave? Are you were uh, in summer summer mode or still got half an eye on all the other matches that are still going on, yeah. even though it's still, affecting us? Yeah, still trying to consume as much football as I can. Certainly EFL stuff interesting. Chris watched the, the Man City game last last night. I, I was glued to the to the, the Luton game. Sorry, not the, the Coventry uh, Middlesbrough game last last night as well. Um, more more of an EFL addict than Champions League addict. So yeah, I'm watching, trying to watch as much of that as, as possible. And I guess the England under twenties with Alex Scott will probably find his way onto my iPad as well at some point. If it if it clashes with work, I try and watch that out of the corner of the eye. So season not quite over just yet. Yeah, I, I, love, I, I love it. Sorry, David, it's, I love it because we're already trying to find you know games scattered all around the world, aren't we, for the next six to eight weeks? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. true. And if we're going to take it, we're talking about around the world. I used to have back in the day. I'm talking about uh, 2005, 2006. I used to watch Malaga play very regularly. In Malaga, we're in the quarterfinals of the uh, Champions League ten years ago, uh, and here they are this weekend. You know, two games to go. They could well, well, they got to win both their final games. Otherwise, they're going to go down to the third tier of Spanish football for the first time in about 25 years. And you bear in mind, Malaga is the fifth largest city in Spain. You know, and you talk about financial mismanagement, that's certainly been the order of the day at that club over, I'll say, the last six years, most definitely. Anyway, less of that. 
Bristol City, um, somebody told me this. It's the third season in a row that we've won 15 games, which is uh, some level of uh, consistency. But I'll come to you first, uh, Chris. It's very simple. Got to give 22-23 season a score out of 10, just as a general way it went. What's your score out of 10 and why? Um, up until December, I think I would probably give it a five. And then after the changes and uh, the return to football after the World Cup, um, I think it was almost a resounding eight. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my football. I saw progress. Um, I thought they they sold Semenyo, bought in a few new um, a few new bodies. Um, not all of them are gelled immediately, but I just saw um, a massive improvement. Uh, and I I've been <laughs> I've been one of those people that have kind of watched what Nigel Pearson has been doing for the last eighteen months and um, and been in his corner, much against a, a few people that I know who is who have who've tried to criticise, which I. I, I kind of struggled to understand. Um, I, I, I kind of was crying out about the shoots of recovery and the um, and the progress we were making, but now I think we've just began to take off, and I hope that this summer is um, is goes in the same kind of direction. I hope he gets all the players he's after, and we can really go for it next year. Um, so yeah, it, I, it's it's been a season of two halves without being um, nicking a, a cliche or an okay. anecdote. So average is out about a seven out of ten for you then, basically, yeah. A margin, yeah, a margin improvement on last year. What about you, Dave? I mean, you're you, you're always uh, the voice of reason or balance, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'm a I'm a seven as well. Um, I think I was going to say it's been a season of four quarters. I was going to say just to be slightly slightly different in terms of I think we had we had two good runs and then we had two poor runs and they kind of ended up you know backing onto each other. And I think, you know, the, the World Cup was an obvious kind of breaking, uh, a good point for us to break, I think. Um, and I think we came back from that. You know, we had a little wobble over Christmas, but generally we, we we improved. But I think what we saw probably from the end of January onwards, I guess Chris alluded to it to, to some extent, is the selling of Semenyo for me was kind of quite fundamental to everything that happens from that point onwards. We got a couple of players in, early chance to embed them. Yeah, we're, you know, we're not going to lie here and say that Cornick's kind of hit the ground running as such. But, you know, you, you have to give these players the pre-season what they know. They're, they're going to be accustomed to being a Bristol City player. Same with Mametti. And I think we've now loosened any kind of restrictions in terms of having to wait to sell players in the summer to move forward. And, and therefore, you can miss all some of those free transfers as a result. So I think what we've done is we've got our house in order in January ready to kick on this summer and we hear people like Tins commenting that you know they're, they're close to getting deals done and they're having you know advanced talks with players and I think that's really what January gave us and I think you know results improved for quite a while up until Man City I think Man City game probably came at a bad time didn't it in terms of we started to pick up a couple of injuries and we were blowing a bit and it took us a little while to recover and we ended the season in relatively decent form and never in any mm. trouble mm. I mean, it's interesting. You've said halves, you've said quarters, and I think you're you're a seven as well. And I guess I'm going to be generous and say a seven. I look at it like this: the first eight games, we picked up uh, sixteen points. Yeah, I think it was four four naught after eight. And then how different it might have been if the Queen hadn't passed away when she did, because we have that break, 
And then between Christmas, between the, um, the resumption after the Queen's passing and, dare I say, it, Boxing Day, yeah, that was the low point, the West Brom point. That was a very, very bad period. Then we came back after Christmas and take the cup games out of it. And West Brom, for me, when we did Fratton 4 0, that was a great game. You know, you're thinking, well, this is what we can do. Uh, we've put together a, a run, four wins, five draws, no, no defeats in the league. But then, as Dave's just alluded to, after Man City, you know, 13 games post Man City, 15 points picked up. And if you look at it, if you take the first eight games of the season and that run of nine early in the new year, 17 games produced 33 points. The other 29 only produced 26 and that's the problem. You know, we had a good period, then we had a bad period, then we had a good period. And for me, the, the end of the season, okay, we got a good win at QPR. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was a little bit disappointing. So it's progress, but I would say it's um, it's baby steps. I mean, Chris, that start of the season, you know, with, you know, unbeaten in the first eight. Do you think it was the momentum was lost? Because you know what we're like when we have a break for internationals. We're not great. And losing that week for the Queen, that weekend for the Queen's death, we never recovered from that, really, did we? Um, I didn't really. No, I, I just remember that some of the results we even even that we got earlier on the season, we didn't possibly possibly deserve. It wasn't it wasn't as if we were playing free flowing football, and and the drop and the drop off was just. It was going to come because you get found out in this this league. I mean, I remember early on the season, QPR and Reading were in the top three, I think, at one stage. And, you know, both of those two teams, well, Reading ended up getting relegated and we absolutely battered QPR on the last day, game of the season and they were looking or struggling to stay up. So, um, you know, the championship is a long, long season. I mean, it is. It, I mean, look at Middlesbrough. They went the opposite way. They started in the bottom three and so did Coventry. Um, so, it, it, you know, how we, if you if you had three guys on talking about Coventry's season or Middlesbrough's season, they would be saying the complete opposite. They would say, what a, what a season we've had, we've had a terrible start, brilliant finish, maybe yeah. not the and both, and both of those clubs did what Nottingham Forest did, basically, didn't they? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and only the Championship really can do that because it's the inconsistencies mm. of all the teams in the Championship is, is glaring. And I think this year was a real disappointment for any fan of a, a smaller club because the teams with the parachute payments, apart from the obvious two who went up, have really struggled. Um, uh, and we could have got into that top six. This was a pretty average year, yeah. a pretty poor year for championship football. And if you were ever going to get in the top six this year, it, it sorry, any year, it was going to be this year. Yeah. And I think we had a missed opportunity. I th Well, if you look at those games, if you look at those 29 games as I say, apart from the two good spells, if we'd have just picked up... Well, we needed another 10 points, didn't we? Which was nothing, Absolutely. really. But, yeah, look, we are where we are. There's no point in crying over spilt milk. Uh, Dave, Chris alluded to, you know, the fact that there was a, a change and the good fortune came when the club switched formations. Now, I know you don't subscribe to rigid formation, but we had essentially been playing with three central defenders and wing-backs... And over the, and I think it was the second half at Swansea where it happened. We had to change to a flat back four. Was 
and it was more by accident than by design, really, wasn't it? And that seemed to set the scene for the rest of the season, every game. I think there, there are a couple of things. I think I think we have to look at the, the makeup of the players we had and what types of players they had. And that's probably why I think at the start of the season, even though Pearson's been on record loads of times and said, he doesn't really like a back three system. He likes a back four. But I don't think he felt he had the personnel to play it. And I think he, he made comments about Zach Viner earlier on the season. You know, we'll probably talk about him later and how, he, how well he's done. But also, I thought, you know, I, I remember him calling someone, someone called in an interview said, Oh, why aren't you playing Rob Atkinson centre in a three? He said, Because he's an introvert. And, you know, and that's why he was playing Cal Naismith there. And I think over a period of time, the influence of people like Cal Naismith as a talker, as a leader, and even Andy King, when he played at centre-back, I think helped the likes of Zach Viner when he then had to go and play in a four, realise what it was all about. So I think you know, people saying, oh, he should have played a back four from the start of the season. I think he kind of was developing people like Zach Viner to make him comfortable to play it so that when we did switch, he was ready to do it and not exposed. And I think, you know, I, I, I might be wider the mark here. With Before we switched in that game against Swansea, we had two tough away games. We had Millwall away and Coventry away. And we mm. came out of those in bad form with, with two away points. Yeah, And I think that was the kind of turning point. Um, I, I don't disagree that we look better as a back four. And I think, you know, I'm perhaps a little bit surprised he didn't go to it early, but I think it's because Pearson thought his players weren't ready to do that. Um, and I think then it freed up people like Naismith to go in to the midfield. His ability to break the lines and free people like Alex Scott, you know, and give him, you know, the ability to get on the ball facing forward rather than his back to goal is a massive advantage. And I think that was, you know, part, you know, lots and lots of different things feeding into it rather than it just purely being about going to a, to a back four. I think that, you know, and that, that's why I've kind of often said, I don't think it's formations, it's players, but you've got the right players to be able to do it. You've got the right, you know, leaders out there to do it. And, you know, we all, you know, we all moaned about Andy King when he gave away a few goals playing a centre back. But I do think it was almost a bit of a, I'm just going to suck this up because the long-term benefit of Zach Viner learning from a talker like Andy King will benefit us in the long run. And I think that's what Pearson's prepared to do. He's prepared to play the slightly medium-term, long game um, to get the right out, right benefits out or right performances out of the players. Mm-hmm. You're nodding your head there, Chris. You concur with what Dave was saying, yeah? Oh, absolutely. I think I think the, the idea was we, we became hard to beat. Um, and, and by playing three centre halves, that was the the general idea. Um, and the players, eventually, the players began to grow in confidence, and uh, and they understand uh, the four four two or four 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 three three system probably a little bit better. And as their confidence grew, they were able to then play with less players at the back. Zach Viner, as you mentioned, was a lot better. Rob Atkinson understood the situation as well and um, you didn't need that extra bit of security at the back that the extra centre-half gives you. Um, I, I just think that he was trying to protect his players, um, especially in the back four or five, um, by playing with an extra centre-half. Uh, and I, again, I agree. I, I remember covering um, the game for BBC Radio before the lads went away at Millwall and Coventry and I didn't expect them to get any points and they went there and they got admirable draws and they came away and they had played well 
and they went into the next home game and they played like a different team. Um, again, I think that was the turning point of the season. I, I think that's his hit the nail on the head with all these points that he just made. Yeah, and you don't think the fact that, you know, the end of the, the last 13 games post-Man City, I mean, it's easy to make excuses for that because there were key players injured, but, you know, it was good. It was quite a morale booster to get that three points at QPR on the last day, wasn't it? It sets you into the summer period on the back of finishing with a win because effectively you've won two of the last three, haven't you? Yeah, It's, it's huge, it's huge, David. To, to win away from home um, on your last game, it gives all the players a chance to sort of remember all the positive things of the season, um, to go and sit on the beach, go and work on their fitness when they're, they're called into the club twice a week or whatever it is, three times a week towards the end of the month. Um, yeah, it's, it's a huge morale-boosting uh, um, win. And I must admit, it was something I, I noticed on the pitch. The way, the way he was getting um, the players together in a group, I know he was trying to get De Silva in front of the fans and he was trying to get Calas there and players to say their goodbyes, whether it's Alex Scott. But I just get the impression that he's building a really close-knit group of players with a fabulous attitude to hard work um, and team spirit. And I think they've got a bit of a chance. I've got this tiny little bit of hope and you know that's the thing that always kills us, isn't it? And it's the hope that kills being a Bristol oh, City fan. That was season I know. season fifty six for me last season. But uh, but there we go. Let's let's look at the let's look at the team in departments. I mean, you know, you know loosely what is midfield and what's attack. But let's start at the back with goalkeeping. I mean, we started Dave the season with Dan Bentley in goal. You know, number one choice without question. Uh, he moved in January because he was out of contract, I think, this summer, yes, and he was not going to accept it. And there he is just a week ago, giving a decent display, making his debut at uh, Old Trafford, yeah? But uh, goalkeeper, we were left with Max O'Leary. That transition from Dan to Max, that was more financial than form-based, really, wasn't it? Yes, he was one of the players to usher out the door. I think it was a lot to do with, with form, actually, Dave. I, I think what happened was, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that Dan Bentley on paper is a better keeper than Max O'Leary. But I think Bentley's confidence in his own ability and therefore rubbing off onto his defence actually created a bit of a kind of negativity in, in the team. I'm not saying, you know, negative from a personality point of view. Just I think we always thought we were going to concede. And, you know his perhaps indecision about coming for balls in the box, you know, started to labour on his centre-backs and that puts him under pressure and, you know, Chris being the, the ex-pro, but even at me playing local level, if you've got a dodgy keeper behind you, it makes makes life hard. You never you never trust what's going to happen and you try and overcover things, overcompensate for things and you end up not doing the things you need to do. And I think Max came in and Max was decisive. You know, I... I think he made a big difference. When he comes for the ball, he comes and punches. I don't care if he pit punches or catches. No. You know, his, his defenders look confident. Nigel actually said that, I think, a couple of weeks ago. He said, Max's decision-making is, is excellent. And I think that's what's helped them. And the whole defence looks more confident as a result. I don't think he's any better kicking. He's, he probably positions himself a little bit higher than what Bentz did. Bentz kicked a lot of balls from, like, near his own goal line, you know, perhaps, you know, wide of the box, whereas Max clears them from the edge of the box. And I think that has a little bit of help in terms of getting us up the pitch. 
Uh, but I think Max is a better keeper for us and our defence at this point in time than what Bentswith was. Okay, that's that's fair comment. And that, Chris, what would, what would you say? I mean, you can't really say Bents is a dodgy keeper when he's given a chance for Wolves. And I don't think Dave was saying that out and out a dodgy keeper, but I do get what you no. said about the confidence piece. But, you know, Max, good enough for you to be number one choice next season, but then... It's looking like with Badgett not living up to expectation, you know, we're going to have to sign a goalkeeper in the summer, aren't we? As, yeah, I, do I, we I, sign I, a number two to Max or do we get a Nicky Mainpar who was probably the best number two to whoever the first choice goalkeeper was coming in? What, what do you think of Max and Dan and what do we do in that one area? I, I think Max is number one. I think they'll bring maybe a young lad in to support him. I think he's 26 now. Um, and potentially, uh, he's the right person for the uh, club at the moment. I think his wages are within the, the budget, so the financial uh, restraints are respected. Um, I, I, I do like what Bev said. Sometimes when you've got um, a goalkeeper who's reluctant to come and take crosses, you're always trying to overcompensate and go with runners when you wouldn't really uh, go with them when you do go and attack the ball. Now you're thinking, do I go with the ball? Do I go over with my runner? It's it's all that all that split second millimeters that means uh, a draw or a victory or a loss in a draw. Um, and for me, um, he, I think he had that terrible game at Birmingham, um, and he, he he got battered. We, we, the whole team played poorly, to be fair. Mm. And I I remember thinking, sat at home watching the game, um, thinking he should have come for that cross, this cross. And then Pearson just went, had enough of him. I don't know what was said in the dressing room. I don't know whether there was some kind of row, um, but he never played after that, did he? And um, he made the change and brought Max in. I think Max had half a dozen games and then Bentley went back in for a bit, didn't he? And, um, and then Max came back in and he's been there ever since. Um, yeah. But yeah, I watched I watched Bentley at the weekend. Didn't he do great? Some brilliant saves. And, and, and we know that he's got that in his locker. He's a fantastic good, good shot stopper. Good shot stopper. Yeah, good yeah, shot shot stopper. stopper. Um, but I think Max is perfect at the moment. He's better on the ball. Um, he's a better distributor. Um, and I think he fits that young profile of uh, the, the back four. He knows, he obviously knows Zach very well. He's of that age group where they all want to grow. They all want to learn at the same pace. And there's no big time Charlie's there who, who crush each other's confidence when things go wrong. Yeah, I'll stick with you, Chris, on uh, starting about on the defence. And it's more a case of who hasn't been available or not included as much as who has. We've already talked to Zach Viner what a season and totally justified. I was at the player awards a fortnight ago. He was the player's player of the year in the squad, which was great to see Zach get that. And, you know, even we or me, I hold my hand up. You know, I was saying this time last year, Zach is a good squad player and that's about it. But if we look at the defence, Chris, um, Payne Wilson was a marquee signing, League Two player of the year, you know, 10... About half, about half a dozen goals uh, played into the narrative of the attacking wing-back. I mean, he's had, for whatever reason, a wasted year. He's not even featured as an overage player. What on earth has gone wrong there? And he was a marquee signing, wasn't he? Uh, he was definitely dressed up to be one of our big signings of the summer, and he's just completely underachieved, hasn't he? Um, I, I don't... I mean, he's obviously been 
disappointed and his season's been decimated by injury. But even when he came back for that one game, like he came on for the last 20 minutes and I thought he was blowing terribly. I was watching him. He was trying to get, you know, I don't know whether his body was full of, full of lactic acid and he, he, his legs had gone, but he'd only been on for 15, 20 minutes and he went to take a, a throw in front of us. And I thought, oh my gosh. And then um, I don't, I think he was then injured off the back of that over a 20 minute cameo. It was just, he's just had a, an awful season, first season at the club. I just hope there's more to him. Um, I don't know whether Pearson's going to give him a little bit of time to build his Bristol City career, but um, they're looking at this lad from Aberdeen who can play it right back as well. And with George Tanner there, um, how many fullbacks do you actually need on this right side? So maybe he might be one of the ones that is eased to the, the exit door during the summer. Um, yeah. If Nigel Pearson thinks he doesn't um, fit the profile of person and player that he's, he's trying to build a squad around. And it's interesting you say about the profile and the type of player because you wonder whether it's a mental thing with him because he did have an injury. And we've said before, the step up from league two to championship from a fitness perspective is very marked. I mean, Dave, you know, that was a very balanced view on the Kane Wilson season from Chris. Um, you know, we had we had high hopes for him, didn't we? And it's worrying that he... Is he? We're not. We're not getting any feedback that he's injured now. He's not playing. He's not even been on the bench. You know when he could have been named on the bench. Do you think he's one for the exit door? His agents trying to find him a new place, and it's a attitude, mental thing. Certainly possible, isn't it? Um, I think. You know, I remember watching him in the first couple of preseason friendlies last season or last summer, and he was on fire. And and then I, I actually went to the HPC to watch the double header they had against. Um, Forest Green and Exeter and he went over on his ankle and that was when Sykes got given his chance to play at right wing back and I think he played at Bournemouth and Plymouth and did quite well and started the league season so he kind of that didn't help but then he came back fit and he he didn't do a lot in the games that, that he played in you know albeit limited limited minutes and of course he you know we we kind of find out he's actually probably carrying a carrying a knee injury and subsequently had an operation and that kind of counted him out for the rest of the season. But then I guess he's trying to try and interpret what, what Pearson's saying around things like he's got to learn to manage his knee for the rest of his career. You know, I, I kind of I'm not sure what how I interpret that. And is that actually, you know, you're gonna be on your way, son? I, I don't know. I, I think it'd be a shame if he does, but I think with the players we've got, and say if we do get McCrory from from Aberdeen as well, who can play Very right needed. back, Sykes can play right back Sykes, if, he, Sykes, if he's needed. You, you know, I, Sykes. Chris said about Sykes starting the season in, in as a, as a wing back, but Sykes came on in the latter stages of a game yeah. quite recently and slotted in a right back, and he's got a he's got a tackle in him as as Sykes. Yeah. But uh, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if he's not here next season. That might be alone somewhere might not be you know completely out the door yeah. I, I don't know it's one we just have to, to wait well, and see that surprise me. Until, he's under contract for another until summer of 25 according yeah. to marvellous yeah and you know it, it, it didn't cost us any money yeah. Chris yeah. I've got Dave all the squad so <laughs> I got at least I got a reference point there's a method in my madness asking you for that Dave and, and, um, Chris, and Chris, Chris, will, Chris will know all about uh, the Bosman as well won't he so yeah. Chris also alluded to uh, George Tanner coming in I mean he he looks very composed. He's a youngster. He's signed a contract extension through to, uh, where is it now, 26? Is, is Tanner signed up to? Yeah, I think he is, isn't he? 
Is that right, Jake? Yeah. I'm reading off mm. your schedule. Uh, he, yeah. he, he's he's looked he's looked okay, hasn't he? I would say, Tanner. Dave. Yeah, he's 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 you know right backs who they you know we get all these left backs of Bristol City and no offence here, Chris, but right back is always you know the, he's a solid right back you know and and that's what George Tanner is and I think yeah. he's, he has got stuff to offer going forward as well and I think that'll yeah. develop over time but he's very very steady and I yeah. I don't mind it if we're steady down the right and then we've got Pring and whoever bombing down the left I don't mind if we play a bit lopsided I've been really impressed with. With Tanner, I don't think he was meant to come in the side as quickly as he did last season, and that kind of the once again the kind of coming up from League Two and the fitness levels of his hamstring a couple of times kind of held him back. But I, I think once again he's been a, a key part of that defence that's performed much better in the second half of the season. Chris Cameron Pring, um, Nigel, as he's done with a lot of players, he's given them the tough love stuff, yeah. And Cameron Pring to me. A year ago, if you asked me what I thought of him, he seemed to be blowing after about 60 minutes, but he's slotted into that left-back in a four, and he's been able to move inside as well. But left-back in a four, Cameron Bring, for me, particularly the second half of the season, um, he's, you know, he was bounced around, loans, and I think it was Nigel put his arm around him, not last summer, summer before, and said, right, you're going to make it here. And he's given him some tough love along the way. But Cam's had a great season, hasn't he? Yeah, and that that he's he's a first pick for me on that left side, playing in that formation. Do you agree with that? Yeah, hundred percent. And by the way, Fez, we we played that game where you named all the left backs the club have had for thirty years, and there was a whole list of them. And then you try to do on the right side, and there was about two. You know, it was you know some of the names that coming out for the right backs was you know it made made my skin crawl. And then you went to. All the right backs went from Scott, Brennan, Bell. It just the list went on and on. It was just some of the, the best left foots that you've ever seen at Ashton Gate for the last 30 years. And then you mentioned the right backs and it was little. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Bradley Orr and I have to go back to then Jerry Sweeney, I think. Absolutely. And I, I see how you, you leapfrogged me then and Louis. So stop it. Anyway, moving on very quickly. Um, Cam, he's done, Cam he's done great, um, hasn't he? Campering, last year I saw him and I thought this kid has everything. He has the basics of a very, very good player. And that's probably why the club have never got rid of him over the last four or five years. And like you said, he's been bounced around everywhere on loan. I think it was Portsmouth here, there and everywhere. And they kept faith with him because he's he's got the right attributes to be he's, he's solid. He, I mean, he's strong. He's physically strong. He's mentally strong. Although he was lacking in confidence last year, he's quick. You know, he's not afraid. He's got good ability on the ball. Now it's all coming together at the right time. And there's, there's people talking about him playing in the Premier Division. I mean, that's how quickly he's improved alongside Zach Viner, who, again, the two of them are like Lazarus, aren't they? They've been reborn. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, com they're completely different players from 12 months ago. And for me, they're my two favourites. In the whole in the whole team, you know, I look at them and I'm so proud to see that they've sorted themselves out. They've been given the chance to grow, and they're local lads and they're doing great. Um, and that's my opinion on Campering. And um, if Joe Bryan does come and join us, I think Joe will sit in front of him and um, and 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 Campering will fly around the outside. I, I mean, we we'll talk about transfers later, but Joe coming in 
it's got to be, it, you know, it's not, it, it, it's not instead of uh, Cam, it's, you know, and coming into the squad and, okay, Joe could play in front of Cam or Cam could play in front of Joe, I guess. Would you agree with that, Dave? Since we're talking about... I think I, I, I kind of, when Cam Pring first kind of broke into the, the side, I kind of and start, in fact, when he, he first came in at kind of left wing, didn't he, when he first came into the side last season, when he settled back into kind of wing back or, or left back, those runs that he made reminded me a lot of Joe Bryan, those kind of driving runs where he could either go inside or outside. Mm. And But what he's got on top of Joe, he's got defensive abilities. And that's not saying Joe Bryan, I think gets a bit of unfair criticism for saying he can't defend. I think he's, he's perfectly adequate. Um, but Pring's recovery runs, he, he kind of gets into position early and one on one he's he's superb you know players just Walker don't, don't try and take him on touch of the Carl Walker's about Cam with his yeah. recovery sometimes yeah I think he's got his, this presence that people know they're not going to outrun him so they don't try yeah. well and that, that's a huge boost if you've if you've got that thinking well they've only got one option they're, they're going to have to lay the ball off I don't need to have to worry and they'd say the attacking end as well. The, you know, the amount of assists he's got is 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 vital. He's yeah. a great player. Yeah, sorry, Chris, you were going to say? He's got great upper body strength as well. You think you're going to get the ball around him, you'd bounce off a shoulder. He's He gets nice and close to you, um, and he's as strong as an ox. And that's why he's able to play centre-half towards the end of the year, because he's, you know, you try to bully him, he'll, he'll, he's, he's a strong boy, and... Uh, you know, I think we've got to go careful as well. I, I, I thought Joe Bryan was absolutely brilliant when he was at. Yeah. He could, he could defend on a, on a, on a, on his not. He was just so good going forward. I think we forget that he was a good defender. Um, and it'd be interesting to see them both playing together because you might have to get a harness on the two of them because if they're flying forward, we're going to have. Oh, I, I think Pring and Bryan on the left side. And if you think that left-sided attacking midfield role that's allegedly he never did properly, Callum O'Dowder was always played as that sort of attacking left side, you know. And yeah. but Pring and Joe on that side, and you can say to Cam, you can do the overlaps, and Joe hang on in there midfield, and then put Joe at left back. Yeah, it gives you. It gives you options there. So, but we come on to that. Sticking with you, Chris, on the centre of the defence, I mean, George, um, what's his name? Not George Tanner. Um, Rob Atkinson, you know, he's he's done enough to be considered a first pick. I'll tell you what I think about uh, what City should be doing in the transfer market in that area. We, we, without Palace, now to use an Ian Gay phrase, playing Cal Naismith as a central defender is an antic, not a tactic, yeah? Cal is the architect of most of the problems. His own self, his self-destruct button, Cal, at the back. And, you know, he, 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 it's only with injury you'd play Cal in the back four, really, wouldn't you? Would you agree with that? Uh, no. No, I don't. I, 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 I think he's more than capable of playing at centre-half. I think... Uh, that position now is um, responsible for where all the football begins and starts. That's how you you take the ball from the keeper. We again, without you know, talking about a different world and a different football team. Man City start, and that's the way of the world from goalkeeper all the way up the pitch. If you if you don't um, if you don't present the ball into midfield in a in a in a, a complementary kind of way, 
the ball is lost in midfield or whether the ball is played into the front men and it's overhit, then the ball comes straight back with with Naismith. He's just such a lovely football, footballer. Um, he had a problem, obviously, at the start of the year with his individual mistakes and it cost us a few points. It might have even cost us enough points to miss out on the playoffs if you add them all up. But... Well, if, it's interesting you say that because I'm going to pick two, two games. Sunderland on the opening day of the season... Yeah, that's why three that's points, right. three points, three points there. Norwich, Norwich away, two mistakes in the first 15 20 minutes. That's Absolutely. six points, but but that goes to show how close we are. You know, yeah. if, we, if we can get rid of these silly mistakes that we were creating at the start of the season, I think whether they'd be there or thereabouts. But Naismith for me is such a lovely footballer. He, he's a player that needs to play a lot, though. He can't... I mean, he came back into the team one of the games towards the end of the season, and I think he was only on for 20 minutes, and he gave the ball away every time trying to overplay. He kicked the ball with a, a lead foot or a lead boot on several occasions. His touch wasn't quite there. Yeah. He wasn't turning well. But that's sometimes just... He needs to play a lot of football. Um, yeah. Okay, but interesting. Interesting, you say that he has a place in the back four, and because that's where everything stems from. Right, rather than talk about midfield, I want to jump to the forward line. I come to you for. I say the forward line, the offensive players' day. I come to you for, and I'm just going to read the names off here: Cornet, Mimetti, Vyman, Conway, Bell, Wells, and then the next name that appears on there who has been making the squad but hasn't played for the team, is Seb Palmer-Holden. If you look at, if you look at um, all those players, none of them are this big man or this number nine, to use a phrase, yeah? And if you look at, if you look at the goal, you know, Tommy Conway, a revelation this season, so Sam Bell, Naki Wells, showing why he's, well, it was a lot that we paid for him, but Model professional, bought the youngsters on, fit as a dog, fit as a butcher's dog, even now, Naki, right? If, you know, what, what's your thoughts on that? And Nigel implied in a recent interview that mm, don't really need to strengthen up front because if we do, they got to be better than what we got because we have got numbers there, haven't we? But, you know, is that a good enough strike force to put us in the top six with no additions. Yeah, because I think it it all depends on what happens behind them. And I think we've shown in the second half of the season that conceding less goals means we're in more games and we pick up more points than actually perhaps when we were a bit more free scoring early on in the season. And I think some of it will come from service. And I think, you know, Chris has talked about Cal Naismith there. When Cal Naismith plays and Matty James play, we pick up a damn sight more points than when they don't play. And I think what we're massively dependent on this season has been having key players fit. And when those key players have been missing, we've stretched a bit too thin. And that's a consequence of the financial issues that we've had to go with the, the type of squad we've, we've got. And I think what we'll try and address this summer is, is creating some strength and depth. But when I look at the, the front players we've got, we've got enough variety in there you know, I'm. I, I guess you know the first the first strikers I saw for Bristol City were, were Joe Royal and Mick Harford. Um, but and you know Mick Harford is probably one of my favourite ever players. But I did grow up on a on a kind of diet of 
Glyn Riley and Steve Neville, with two little blokes up front. Yeah, and I, I, and so therefore, my some of my football philosophy, if there is such a thing, is you don't need to have a big man; just need good players. You know, they have good service, and and I think we've got enough about us in that forward line to to do that. You know, especially if you've got people like Byman prompting it as well from from coming from behind Sykes. You can include in that playing in that kind of right forward role who's chipped in with with goals as, as well. I I think we got enough there. It's not a priority. Yeah. The right player comes comes available. Then you know. Yeah, I mean it, to back I, up I your argument, Dave. To back up your argument, if you look at the promotion team of 07-08, where Darren Byfield was a top scorer, we finished sort of third or fourth, whatever, with a goal difference of plus one, and we didn't have a big man. But I can pick. I'm going to pick three other promotion uh, seasons, and that's when we went up. Well, you know, when we went up in '89-90, we had Taylor and Turner, yeah, Robbie Turner, Bob Taylor. In '14 and '15, we had Aaron Wilbraham up there, and what a revelation he was because he was one of those journeyman centre forwards that probably had the best season of his career with us, and what a player. On the field, um, so but what you're saying, Dave, really is that you know from that forward mix, there's enough there to do the business, yeah. Yeah, I think I think Conway's a a star. I, I remember seeing him for the first time on loan at Bath City, and he scored two on his debut, and he looked about eight years old, but he just he just had something about him. You think, and, it, and he's got that bit of nastiness as well, and I, I wish that's something that Sam Bell would. Would kind of learn as well, just that little bit more physicality, that little bit more edge to him. But Conway, you know, could easily be like twenty goals next season and yeah, twenty million moves to, to the Premier bet. League. Somebody was trying to place a bet. I saw on Twitter. Could they get yeah. a bet somewhere on Conway to get to twenty? But um, you know, that would be a big, a big achievement. Uh, Chris, <laughs> coming to you, the same area of uh, the field. I said Naki Wells is sort of. Yeah, he's 33, is he, this summer, I think he is? Or 32? I don't know. But he's been given a contract extension, and he was silent all through 21, 22, and he was either played out of position or not played at all. But he's been a great influence probably on and off the pitch, hasn't he, with the youngsters? Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his relationship is quite well known with Conway, um, that they get on very uh, well. They worked together in reserves last year when neither of them were... Uh, part of the SMN uh, uh, trio of lads who were scoring goals. Um, I think Conway is our number one forward at the moment. I think he would be the first pick um, with Naki Wells' support to him um, as an impact sub. I think if we went for the big towering centre forward, like the Lee Johnson used to favour Jurich um, to toss on at the end of games, that is an option, but I don't know whether the finances will stretch that far. Um, then I look around and I think, where are we going to get Mometi? How are we going to re- get more goals from midfield? Um, if if Alex Scott does leave, who's going to be our number ten? I can't. I don't think Vyman's got enough about him to be a number ten. Um, maybe it's Mometi. Sykes for me has been um, a, rel- rever- a revelation. Even <laughs> start again uh, at the right side. Um, Mainly attacking rather than defending. I don't like him as a fullback. I like him in the uh, the last third. Um, and then for me, Bell, as as Fez just said, 
probably need to spend uh, the summer in the gym because I think that did come He needs to have a little bit more physicality, doesn't he, yeah? He does. He needs to get his arms up, use his body a little bit more. He needs a little bit nice. He, he, he looks as if his shorts and his top um, weren't made for him. They were made for someone else when I see him on the pitch. <laughs> and, and I'm sure his dad's on to him. Um, and I want him to do great because he's from Nelsie as well. And uh, that's obviously where I grew up as as a school kid um so i've got a little bit of a, an eye on him and i want him to do desperately well for the club and it's nice to see the kids coming through yeah. um i just uh i just think it's i, I was I, i've got to be honest i was quite surprised how many games he played towards the end of the season in preference over mametti who'd only just signed you know uh he, maybe, <coughs> maybe maybe pearson is just trying to give him 20 10 games at the end of the season yeah just to feel comfortable at championship level. And to be fair, that is that is what Pearson sometimes thinks. He yeah. thinks he's got nothing to lose. Let's get this kid ready for next year. Give him the taste for it. Hopefully he'll be so hungry and spend all summer in the gym, build himself up, and next year you'll see the real sound belt. Yeah. I mean, Harry Cornick, everybody's said, oh, he needs a pre-season. But Harry Cornick, he's either 30 now or he's 30 next birthday. You know, and you look at the intensity that Luton play at, right? And I know he wasn't playing for them this season as much as, as last season, but he's he has been here half a season, Harry Cornick, and there have been a few glimpses, but there's nothing, you know, he's not going to be a salvation for us. And I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but at 30, you know, what's a, what's a pre-season of Bristol City going to be? It's not going to be any more intensive than what Luton are, the way they seem to play with that. 110%. What do you think? I, I, I don't think he's done terribly badly. I, I must admit, he, towards the end of the season, he put in a couple of decent performances. Um, I can't remember the away game he played well in, but off the back of the away game, he was a lot better at Ashton Gate. And um, yeah, I think he's a, another one, a bit of a slow starter. I don't know how his career would have panned out had he scored that, scored on his debut when he was one on one on the goalkeeper. Maybe we would have all elevated him into. Um, God's status very early and you know and give them a little bit of a break I think sometimes you put a little bit of pressure on yourself as a form as a as a player um, and he's probably over trying he's probably getting himself into positions now that he wouldn't probably take up because he's trying to cover so many different um, aspects of his game or show so many different aspects of his game um, I think he's a good squad player but, uh, yeah, the decisions I'm going to leave up to Nigel Pearson. Because yeah, absolutely. Goal. OK, Dave, um, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody says what I just said, not enough goals from midfield, not enough goals from midfield. And if we're saying the formation is, I don't know, well, we're definitely saying it's four at the back and then it's whatever permutations of the six in front. Um, if you protect the back four with... Joe Williams. Well, you just look at the names that are there. Classified midfield players. Matty James, Alex Scott, Joe Williams, Andy King, Mark Sykes, coming back later in the year, Benarus. Uh, Dylan Kaji had a flirtation. I think his, his his numbers are going to probably find him out on loan next season. But, uh, well, Masengo's gone. and Well, that's about it. But, no, there we go. Look, we've got Matty James, Alex Scott, Joe Williams, Andy King, Mark Sykes, Eamon Benarus, maybe you throw Mimetti back in there as an offensive midfield. And Alex Scott, you know, 
our twenty-five million pound player. I had a Wolves fan actually asked me what I thought about him yesterday. Yeah, totally off the grill. I forgot the guy was a Wolves fan. But Alex Scott was it two goals, two assists, something like that. I mean, it's not if we lose him, it's not like we're taking away our main creator of goals, is it? What what what's the problem in midfield, Dave? How do we address it? Right, and assuming <laughs> that Scott goes. That's where the money can be spent, is it not? Yeah, I, I think this is the the modern day fixation. You know, you, you know, you can spit your tea out now with, with with data and stats, and I'm the biggest proponent of it. Probably that <laughs> comes on these podcasts, but you know, back in the day, no one used to count assists, did they? No, you know, it, it was it was just goals, and you really only focused on your your strikers, how I many they scored, you know, we still talk about 20 goal strikers, don't we? Um, Scott got five assists and two got no, sorry, got, yeah, five assists and two two goals um, this season. But if you if you looked at the top 10 goals that we scored the, the other day, there was one away at Blackburn, the, the Tommy Conway kind of stupid header. Alex Scott creates that goal, don't get an assist for it. Goal at goal away at Preston, where he beats four players on the touchline, puts Naki Wells in down the sideline, crosses for Sambel, doesn't get an assist for it. So you know you can create goals without getting that little one in the in in your column at the end end of it. And I think that's what he does. And I think that's you know we were talking about Cal Naismith as well. You know how many times does Cal Naismith break the lines of a pass that gets us on an attack? And that's where you know you start to be able to use some of that data that you can get to say what are they doing to influence the game and influence goals so I don't worry too much that Alex Scott in scoring or assisting in you know in, in pure terms what I do care about is what he does when he gets on the ball who he's feeding and where he's feeding those those players so I don't worry about it too much I would like more goals from midfield you know we go back to you know times gone by and you know we've had you know people like Freeman scoring scoring lots of goals you know um I guess you know, even you know, talking about Joe Bryan a little bit as well. Joe Bryan always had a goal in him, especially that, yeah, that you know, seventeen eighteen season where he played kind of more as a left winger as well. So I, th- I think well, that's it. That's yeah, what we, could do, we could do with more goals. If you've got Bryan in front of Pring, you've got yeah. the best of everything over on that side. Yeah, um, I think we miss out. We miss. Sorry, Dave. Just to, to finish up, and I think we miss out a little bit as well when when Atkinson went and did his ACL because we suddenly stopped taking kind of corners into the box because we had no aerial threat and I think mm. you know typically in the past you know in recent times we had Aiden Flint who got you know six or seven goals every season from centre back what was Atkinson on three or four this season I think we missed that as well and it'd be nice to think that we might have some centre backs contributing next season as well if, if only to put off other you know defenders to make room for other players as well yeah. so I've often said over the years we've not had a midfield since Jerry Gow left and probably more recently Gary Shelton, you know, if you, if you know, Gary Shelton and Jerry Gow are two midfield players that I build my perception of what a good midfielder is. And when you look, you know, Matty James got a lot of minutes out of him. Andy King came in towards the end of the season, uh, well, since Christmas. There's some good stuff in there. Joe played more minutes for us this season than any other season he's been here. How do we address the goal scoring problem from individual midfield players, Chris? And selling Alex Scott, if it does happen, you know, I mean, if he's still here, he's a first pick, 
that's one of those midfield berths gone. Yeah, almost, isn't it? Yeah. So, well, how do we address those problems? Well, I don't know whether you heard the um, the interview with Nigel Pearson um, that he did with Jeff. Um, I think on Monday night on Sound of the City, but that was one of his his kind of frustrations this season that we don't score goals from midfield. I, I presume he's taken out the likes of Sykes and the Bells out of that equation. Maybe he's just referring to the middle of midfield because obviously uh, Alex Scott hasn't scored many, Matty James hasn't scored many and Joe, Joe Williams hasn't scored many. So, you know, he's probably complaining a little bit about that. But for me, we don't break into the box enough. You know, we don't have box-to-box runners. We have Joe... And Matty James, who sit, uh, maybe he was expecting um, uh, Alex Scott to get in the box a little bit more. We kind of always are looking to score the perfect goal um, and we don't shoot from the edge of the box as much as we certainly did 20 years ago. There was, there was, you know, it doesn't get an extra point for walking the ball into the net, do you? So have a shot from anywhere if, you, if, if the chance comes about. Um, and uh, for me, I just think we, we, we've just gone, you know, Bristol City fans, I think, love their wingers. So we most of our goals come from crosses or from work in the wide spaces or wide areas. Um, perhaps we just need to work a little bit of um, interplay in and around the block, uh, in and around the box, um, and work a little bit more around the, in those areas. One twos, balls around the corners, lots of little runners. Um, it's something that we can work on once we get little um, little relationships built up between um, attack and defence, uh, attack and midfield. Dave? Yeah, I think Nigel also said, you know, a little while ago that when we were playing the counter-attacking football, you know, mainly first half of the season, that it's not unusual that all your goals are scored by your forward players because they're so far ahead of the ball that, you know, they're the only ones going to be getting on the end of chances. We certainly saw that last season with uh, Vyman, Martin and Semenyo. You know, they, Andy got 20 on, the other two both got double figures and, you know, that's the vast majority of our goals. And I guess we've, we've changed the way we've played a little bit since yeah. Christmas and a little bit more possession heavy. And I think that leads into what, what Chris has just said there. When we get good kind of territory in the kind of final third, whether that's wide or in more central positions, we need to be a little bit more creative and we need to get those, you know, third man runs, you know, off a little one-two with someone breaking into the box, maybe like someone like a Brownie would have done previously for us. We haven't really got that type of player who's kind of busting to get in the box off of someone's layoff. And I think if we can address that, and that might be if Alex Scott goes, we, we don't try and get an Alex Scott replacement. We try and get someone a bit different but actually complements the way we want to might want to play some, in the future. Isn't that what some people say Dave Mametti could do is playing mm, yeah. in that lively, jinky little role. And when he came on as a sub, I thought he ran out of steam in after the first few games he played, he was sort of becoming less and less effective. But when he came on in the last home game, I think it was, for 20 minutes, he looked lively again and he put in some crosses because I think our dead ball Kicking. I know we haven't got height in the box, but it's a bit mundane, isn't it? We don't. We haven't got a free kick specialist now like we used to have, or we don't seem to, do we? How many times do we remember how Mickey Bell used to score free kicks and Alan Walsh and stuff like that? You know, and you get ten goals a season through free kicks and good from corners, but we 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 don't we don't do that. But um, look, I mean, yeah. Nigel's. This is his season now, isn't it, and Chris? It was interesting in Jeff's interview with Steve Lansdowne. Um, 
And he said, he said as much in another interview, it might even have been at Senior Reds, that, that there is friction. I, I sense a degree of friction sometimes between the manager and the chairman. And Nigel's that sort of guy anyway. And he's begrudging, seems to be begrudging in his praise in terms of what Nigel has achieved, yeah? And he seems to have a love in this, Steve, with Mark Robbins at, at, at Coventry. But, you know, we've said on the podcast, yeah, you know, he's improved us. You know, we're going to invest money this summer, assuming we spent, assuming Scott goes and we start investing money. We're going to give Nigel more money than has been spent for about five years, potentially. Yeah, here's a man who could, this time next year, be gone. Has he done enough in your book, Chris, for contract negotiations to actually just give him a year, a year extension? What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Gosh, I'll pay for him to stay a year. You know, that's, that's how much I want him to stay. But I, I just think he's on the right path. I mean, it's sometimes um, better the devil you know with Nigel. I think um, we know he can be abrasive a little bit. It, it, it's... His interviewing um, uh, characteristics are sometimes quite difficult. He will tell it exactly as it is. And when things are going well, he's no different. He will just, he will tell the truth. And that's what I like about him. I would go, you know, again, I Jeff was doing the show on live on Monday night, and I texted him very quickly during the show. I said, Jeff, me and you would play for this guy because he's just honest. And, it, and do you know what? There's not many people honest in professional sport. And because you, you've got that respect for him, you'll run through brick walls for him because he's, you know, sometimes you, you might not like what you hear from him and that might upset you and you've got to move on. You've got to get on with it. But he is, he's got so much experience in the game. What we want to go, you know, lots of people were very critical of him early being, being um, an old dog and you couldn't teach him new tricks and the game's moved on. But what he, I think he is, he brings in coaches to coach and he's the manager of the club. He's the one who yeah. creates, he creates the atmosphere, he creates the standards, everyone toes the line to his levels of expectations and he manages the club. And I, I think it would be absolutely stupid to get rid of the guy and give him an extension now. And that's if you, he wants You say to give him an extension now. I mean, it was interesting. I was at Senior Reds lunch today and Phil Alexander... The chief exec was there, and he was at Palace for 26 years, and he's played under some. He's played under certain chairman. Oh, sorry, Phil Alexander has been under certain chairman like Ron Nodes, yeah, and Simon Jordan. But he said, "I've seen lots and lots of managers, yeah." And he said, "Pearson is right up there. Just what you said. His level of detail, his general demeanour, and everything else like that." And I think there's an image that people have of Nigel, which goes back to the ostrich comment and his general abrasiveness. That I spoke to him for about five minutes, first interaction I've had with him at the Players' Awards, and he was really nice, really nice, uh, really nice bloke. But like all managers, they're going to have their little foibles. Dave, um, Chris does agree with me, we should be talking about a contract extension for Nigel because it gives players coming the chance to know that the manager that is signing them is going to be around. Yeah. Um, do you think it's it's premature or do you think Lansdowne's hedging his bets? I guess I haven't really thought about it too much, Dave, in terms of, you know, whether you have to do it now or, you know, at some point during the season. Um, I, you know, I'm a 
big fan of, of Nigel. I kind of echo a lot of what, what Chris has said there, but, you know, the way he manages people. And that's not just the players. He's kind of a facilitator. He's more than a football manager, isn't he? You know, he's together with, you know, the, the job that Richard Gould did as well. You know, they sorted this club out from being in a complete mess. You know, we've all got enough history of this club to know that normally we end up having to do this rebuild in, in the third tier not staying in the yes. second tier. And I, and I think, you know, it sets us back a couple of years and sometimes it takes us God knows how many years to get out of the, the third tier. We've kept our position. We've gradually in, improved. And I think a lot of that's down to Nigel. I think he's an empower of people as well. He doesn't, he's, I think he's so secure in his own ability that he can have people around him that are challenging. He don't want yes men around him. No. And, and therefore, you know, hence, you know, you'll, and he'll bring the right people in to do the right job. I I thought we missed a trick when, you know, whatever we think of Dean Holden's appointment, not having Tinian in as some kind of like director of football yeah. type role then. I think Dean missed someone. We didn't give him really the tools. We we didn't want him really button up against Mark Ashton. We needed someone else in, in between. I think Nigel's all about getting the structure right to, to take the club forward. And I think we've had two and a bit years of rebuilding this you know, I, I'll caveat this slightly. This is his squad from this point onwards. Yes, but but let's not forget this is probably not the squad that he would have taken forward, having been here two years. If there weren't a financial mess beforehand, he'd no, have, had, he'd have he probably he'd have probably he'd got the squad right. better quicker. So okay. I, I I think I think it's a really good position to be in. Chris, go on. Well, I was also interested about what he said about um, are we still a selling club when he was asked that by. Um, Jeff on Monday night are we going to continue to be because have, has the club found that found that if you carry on selling all your best players you're not going to progress that was I mean that is a big question you, you can't keep building uh, uh, well progressing all the academy players into the first team and then selling them just beyond their potential or before they, they, they achieve their potential if you want this club to move forward at some stage you're going to have to keep them together and Hopefully, there's enough of them coming together at the same time that we can all move together at the same well, time. Well, that, that was the hallmark of success in 76. But again, I look at Luton and Coventry, because there they are in the playoff final that we're looking to. You know, how have they got academy players coming through? Do they sell their best players? You know, Chris, what, what, what's the fundamental difference but they've all grown together, haven't they? They've all grown together, David. They, they've come up from the lower reaches of the Football League or even from the, uh, the conference, as in Luton's. And they've grown all at the same time. So none of them are getting ahead of themselves. All of them want to play with their pals. They're, they're all at the same level and they want to progress. And we may be just building that kind of atmosphere at the club where there's enough young kids all growing and moving into those sort of those levels of professionalism that they can push next year on and with a few little tweaks, a few little experienced players around them, we might just have the right team and the right combinations next year to achieve something. Yeah. Do you concur with that view, Dave? Yeah, I do. I think I, I don't think we were quite there with Steve Cottrell, but the kind of fundamental principles were, were there with Cottrell around, I've got a group of players together, I've got my boys, how he used to refer to them, um, some of them had obviously been brought in from from outside, but they were young enough to be kind of groomed to how Cots wanted them to work with the steady old heads of Wilbram around to keep them on the straight and narrow and, you know, only on the cost of 
uh, coffee shop, not in, not anywhere else. And he built a team. And I think that season we went up, he was after two or three players to just supplement that that squad with, whilst also probably giving you know the I think at the time Keith Burt had called out. Joe Bryan, Bobby Reed, and Wes Burns is kind of like the three academy starlets yeah, to kind of come yeah. through. And I guess you were hoping there'd be another batch behind that, which is probably yeah. like Lloyd Kelly's and, and players like that. So I think that was definitely what he was trying to do. And I think that's what Nigel's, you know, trying to do. I think it's sound kind of football mm-hmm. management, really. And that, and that's what Luton and Coventry and Millwall have done based on, I guess, the other key component is excellent recruitment. Excellent recruitment. Yeah, interestingly, uh... I read uh, Cots has lost Keith Burt up at uh, mm-hmm. Shrewsbury, and that seems a bit of a mess up there. I think they brought in a new director of football or something above Cots, and first you read about it, it was in the paper. Just want to wrap up each of you with a few quick questions. Um, uh, uh, Chris, you first uh, uh, on on Thomas Callas. Uh, he, he's, you know, there's a contract on the table. Uh, there's an offer. There's well, Jada Silva. There's an offer. Do you think they'll both be gone? And Callas, do you think we should say the offer's there? And so, because we need to, if Callas is going to be here, Pearson likes him. We need to move on, though, don't we? What do you think of Callas situation? Um, he's obviously a, a decent championship centre half. Um, my biggest concern uh, is his injury issues. A little bit long uh, alongside the the Baker uh, that we've just had, you know. He was an executive at Nathan Baker. We had exactly the same situation two seasons ago. He was given a, a contract offer, and then unfortunately, um, he had those head is, head injury issues, um, which could tell his career, which was sad. Uh, I think the hardest thing for any professional employee is is how it must be really hard to be told to go out there on a Monday morning or start of each week and to be valued at less money than you were the previous year by the same employer. So if you've still got, you're still expected to do the same job, but for half the salary. So I, I don't know whether Callas has got to that stage where he can mentally compute that. Unless he is, he should move on. I, I think he has to understand where the club are. He's got to understand um, his age, he's got to understand how the, the he's got to understand where football is as well, Chris, hasn't he? Really, absolutely. The football landscape since COVID, all that kind of stuff, he has to understand that. But sometimes, if the penny doesn't drop, you're better off moving because if you haven't got the right attitude, you're not going to be the same player. Um, and for me, I can't, I, I can't see him being being able to accept that he's worth half. Mm-hmm. Half the money he was previously on, and a noise, you know, nor can I see Jay to sell. And Jay, Jay, who played reasonably well in the final third of the season when he came on, it looks like he's going to have options anyway, Jay, doesn't it? With you know, if you say Birmingham or a million, could have gone to Coventry, but they might be in the first of it uh, in the in the in the Premier Division. So that that job, you know, that that opportunity might have gone. But for me, I think it's. I think both of them have options. I think there's lots of clubs who will take either of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, Dave, it, Dave really same on, on, on Callas and De Silva. I mean, I think De Silva is probably going to go. Yeah. And Callas. Yeah. I, I think De Silva will go. I think Nigel's careful wording around we offered him a contract in January kind of probably says it all for me if I'm 
putting two and two together and maybe getting five, which probably says we've given him an offer. The fact that he hasn't signed it now is because he's off. That that's my callous. I I just I can't I can't decide one way or the other. And right. and I'm, I I kind of said to someone else the other day, whatever will be will be. And I'm not going to say you know if he stays and then he gets injured, I'm not going to say in hindsight we should have never signed him. And if he goes and plays forty yeah. odd games somewhere Sorry, in Germany Chris, you, or wherever, what, yeah. then then I won't moan about that either. I'll just accept whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, what will be will be. Chris, Dave, would you be surprised if he stayed? Either of you, would you be surprised if he stayed? No, because I think Nigel really rates him. And yeah, I, and I, I think I, Nigel I would said say... enough enough that he would want him to stay. I mean, if I had a choice of Talas with a poor injury record staying or Jay De Silva staying, I'd let De Silva go and I'd take a chance on Callas for the reasons that Dave said. Yeah. I, th- I think as well, just to kind of finish up on that, I know he's only played a handful of games, but when he's played this season, he's looked really good. And, and I think yeah. some of that is because he's not having to do the work of other players yeah. as well. So Viner's now become a bona fide centre-back. He doesn't have to babysit him anymore. No. You know, he can concentrate on his own game. And yeah. we saw him actually play kind of left of a two, didn't we, as well, which is where he plays for the Czech Republic. I think, I think really at home as well. I think it's important if Kala stays, and OK, he'd have to play on that left alongside Zach, which means pushing Naismith out. But if Callas plays, it's important, particularly with Atkinson being out, yeah, until November. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about loans or lack of. I mean, I disagree with this developing other players, do other clubs' players. Do we want to do that? Look what happened with Tammy Abraham. If they're good enough, they play. And Tammy Abraham's goals in 2016-17 kept us up. But back to the Atkinson situation, if Callas goes, right, we would need... And Atkins is not available till November. I don't think it would be a bad idea to go into the loan market for a Premier League defender for six months up till January, rather than sign a player on a three-year contract who's going to be around second string to Atkinson when Atkinson gets fit. He's either got to be better than Atkinson, yeah? You know, if Atkinson's got a long-term future, which he has, yeah, We've got to address him not being available for six months. And, you know, if Callas stays, that problem's gone away, just in my view. Right, finally, guys, just to, to wrap up with both of you, Alex Scott. Um, he, I, I don't know if you saw the interview he did on Sky. He's obviously had media training, but just on that interview alone that he did, his delivery, his how he said it, you know, he came across as such a polished lad at 19. Yeah, and he's got these three games in the World Cup coming up in a week where because some of the under-20 England players are still on club duty, he's going to go in the shop window. And if he plays of a standard that he did against Man City, right, because I thought Scott was disappointing in the final quarter of the season, to be honest, I really did. But that's just my view. But if he puts in sparkling performances, it could stick another five million quid. Now... On his value now, Pearson is you know the general view is he might stay another year, right? So Dave, if he stays another year, we're then in the situation this time next year he's only got a year on his contract left. So any increase in value through having another year with us is going to be diminished in whole or part or whatever by the fact that he'll only have a year to go. What about Alex Scott signing? What about, wouldn't it be good if he wants to play in minutes 
wouldn't it be good if he signed a one-year extension? Yeah, because he knows that he, if he goes to an elite club, he's not going to get minutes. If he goes to a mid-tier premiership club, he will. What do you think should happen with Alex Scott? Not what what yeah, what do you what would you like to see happen? Um I I'd like him to stay. I'd like him to be part of the, you know, the equivalent of a nineteen seventy-six promotion side built around young players that's come through and got into the into the Premier League. That's what I want to happen. I I think just to go on, Chris. No, no, no. I'm just gonna ask you another question. As a city fan, I can I can hundred percent agree with you that I would love him to stay. But what would you do if he was your son, for example? What would you say to him as at his stage of his career, do you think it's the right move from step Bristol City or go to a big club? For me, it's very important he plays, so staying at Bristol City would be a great idea. But the security of a massive contract, learning from from internationals every day of the week in training, that's another option. You, it's almost a balancing act, isn't it? As, as a, if, if you were his parent, I, I and. I think it depends on what type of parent you are. So this would be hedging my bets now. You know, if you're if you're a grounded person, not not trying to live your life vicariously through your son, for example, then you might you might have a different opinion than perhaps someone who is trying to you know gain the glory through through their son. So it's a, it's a difficult one to answer. I'm just just wrapping back around on Dave's foot. I think if Alex Scott is here, you know, in September next season, it will be because he signed the contract. I don't think we would. Let him stay and have only a year left. Okay, that's the point. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. In terms of him, I, I, I think it depends on how he looks. It does he want to use his next club as a stepping stone to a top six club, or does he want to go straight to a top six club? If he wants to go straight to a top six club, he runs the risk of probably not playing as much next season, and I think he wants to play. So it, it, it really answers that. But if he if he's happy to go to a club as a stepping stone, then he'll he'll go this summer because you know a Brighton or a Wolves or whoever will come in. He'll get his minutes in the Premier League, and then that will define whether he's good enough to play top six or not. But it's difficult to call, isn't it? Really, the good thing for me is that Pearson's making all the noise that he he's trying to make him stay. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think, Chris? What's your what's your view, Chris? And as a football professional, what value do you think? is what, what, what's the price as well? Well, I, I try to look at it from every perspective. I try to look as a parent because I want, I want, I want him to do well. I, I look at him because I just, I just see a young kid out there who's starting his career. Then I see him as a, then I look as a Bristol City fan and I definitely want him to stay. Then I, then I think of what, what both of you have just said about the finances of the club and running his contract down, which would, cost maybe the club 20 million pounds i mean you've got so many different aspects to weigh up um and all these conversations will be um be occurring in the background i i, I mean i i had uh, the pleasure of meeting his parents um alex scott's parents uh, at a table after one of his first few games and he was that good i had to just i felt myself just being drawn towards them and congratulating them on their son's I don't remember if it was his debut or his second game at Ashton Gate. And I said, your son is some player. I said, you know, very best of luck. I'm sure he's going to be a, a real star. And, you know, 18 months later or a year later, here we are. And he really is. And I just want him to do well for himself. I, and I also want him to do well. I want to be able to watch him in a few years' time, having 
gone up through the ladder and playing for a top six club. I just I just want to see him making the right decisions for him, the club and everyone because he seems a decent guy from a decent yeah. family who hasn't got ahead of himself. And I haven't seen yeah. that interview on Sky, but I would imagine he comes across if you, really well. If you listen to that, if you listen to that, it, it, was, it was delivered in the diplomatic style of a Gareth Southgate. You know, he... You looked at him and you thought, God, you know, you're you're the business, just in terms of his articulation and his general composure, thoughtful and what have you. And somebody said, all when they're with England, they get media training because somebody said Bellingham, if you hear Bellingham talk, you know, he's got that same it's a confidence, you know, they know what they're going to say, you know. So he's not got he's not got attitude, and that's the key thing. I think it would be good, it'd be interesting if Bellingham went to somebody for 90 million. You know, a season out abroad in Germany for Borussia, is it Borussia Dortmund? Yeah, mm. that would develop yeah. his career. People talk about him having a loan back here. He could go to an elite six club. Man City could sign him and loan him back to us for a season. Yeah, but then what would they do with him? Because he's never going to... Uh, well, is he? <laughs> is he going to... Yeah, he showed against Man City that he can exist at the same dining table as players of that quality. How does he make that step up? And he could do it with us as a member of a promotion-winning side. I'd love to win promotion automatic, but winning it at Wembley this time next year has got a special thing about it. And it would be great if Alex Scott was uh, was 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 still there with us. Yeah. So David, he so the manager at the moment, Nigel Pearson, he must have players that he must want if Alex Scott goes, and he also has got a kitty of players that he wants if he stays. So. You know, Nigel Pearson needs to know where he stands at the moment as well. Yeah. He'll yeah. be talking to lots and lots of agents. He doesn't want £25 million on the eve of the season starting. And, yeah. and all the players he wants have now moved on. So it, it's really important that they they get this resolved quite quickly. And I know, you know, last year he got his players very quickly. He wanted them in the building. Um, and from the noise they're making at the moment, they probably will be pushing... Alex Scott on a decision whether he's going to stay or go in the next month or so, I would imagine. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, look, guys, it's been it's been great talking. As we say, we've got a little bit of a uh, uh, is a, is a desert in terms of what we do at weekends. B and Q uh, will be being visited, I'm sure. The lawns will be cut. Sun will be absorbed as we sit out in it. But. Um, Chris and uh, Dave today, thank you, and uh, enjoy the rest of the summer. Load them all away. What if I've been unlucky? Really, I ain't got a thing. There's a time I always feel happy, as happy as a king. When the red, red robin comes bob, bob, bobbing along, along. There'll be no more sobbing when he stops throbbing his old sweet song. Oh, wake up, wake up, you sleepyhead. Get up, get up, get out of bed. Cheer up, cheer up, the sun is red. Live, love, laugh and be happy. What if I've been blue? Now I'm walking through fields of flowers. Rain may glisten, but still I listen for hours and hours. I'm just a kid again, doing what I did again, singing a song. When red, red robins are bob, bob, bobbing along. Red, red robin come bob, bob, bobbing along, along. 
there'll be no more sobbing when he starts robbing his old sweet song. Oh, wake up, wake up, you sleepyhead. Get up, get up, get out of bed. Cheer up, cheer up, the sun is red. Live, love, laugh and be happy. What if I've been blue? Now I'm walking through fields of flowers. Rain may glisten, but still I listen for hours and hours. I'm just a kid again, doing what I did again, singing a song. When the red, red robin starts bobbing along. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you still the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.